Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 39, Continuous Improvement and Collaborative Leadership with Terry Beckman. Terry Beckman is quick to say that she's not a lean practitioner, but she really cares about what lean practitioners are doing and she has many insights that the lean community would benefit from hearing. So I'm glad to have her today. Terry is CEO of HiGall, where she helps purpose-driven CEOs align their board, their people, and their financial resources to increase revenue and community impact. Cherry Beckman, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Oh, thank you, Bella. It's so nice to be here. I'd love it if you could tell us about Terry. Uh, What are you doing and how did you get to do what you're doing? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I am... um... I have a company called High Goal, which is an acronym for High Impact Growth Oriented Leaders. And we work with purpose-driven companies and their CEOs to um, basically to help them align their resources so that they can have the kind of community impact they want to have, as well as um, increase their revenue. And we, we generally see those things measurably increase by about 50% over 12 months if we have a chance to work with folks for a while. So it's, um, it's been a lot of fun. That's terrific. And so how did you get into this? How did I get into it? Really good question. Um, you know, I worked for um, a number of years as an executive director of a larger nonprofit that was doing um, all kinds of community impact work in in neighborhoods and inside real estate. And it was a high burnout job for sure. And what I really noticed was as I, you know, got the training and coaching and and read, you know, books that that made sense to me, I could see that as as my mind, the capacity of my mind increased, then so did my capacity to do my job. And it it really wasn't so much about the technical aspect of the work. You know, there were plenty of resources to figure that out. It was really about, you know, in a sense, in the end, really my own leadership capacity. That's what really, you know, portended and, you know, supported my ability to take on bigger projects. And so um, a big part of that also uh, was in inside of Buddhist psychology. So I learned really that um, those masters are masters of psychology, you know, in a way that um, many of us in the West are not. And, and so that was a big, that was also a big part of my growth. Um, I eventually decided that, you know, helping other people on that path would be <clears throat> the, the biggest thing I could give back to um, the nonprofit and larger business community. Um, so that was, that's really how the genesis of how it, it came. You know, what's fascinating to me about that is the connection connection with Buddhism because of in lean, you know, we, we practice uh, a way of working uh, 
which it comes from Japan. And the people who came up with this, um, you know, have that Buddhist background. And, um, you know, there is this um, ethos, I think, that goes with that, that, as you said, is hard for us to understand in the West. It's it's a different approach to life and a, a different way of thinking. So when we're trying to learn what we think of as lean or continuous improvement that's based at least on, on the way that Toyota works, it's very hard for those of us in the West to understand that that underlying um, ethos, yeah, that underlying that underlying way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. It was so interesting to me when you shared that because I had no idea lean came from a, a Buddhist foundation like that. Um, it, you know, so that's inspiring to me. Um, yeah, I think unfortunately with many things in the United States, you know, we squeeze, we we squeeze it into, we Americanize it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And sometimes we lose the best part of things doing it that, doing that. Well, it's certainly been true with, with lean, and I, I'm using the term, you know, kind of broadly here, that yeah. there's been a big focus um, on the results and look at these results and aren't these results amazing and yeah. now we're seeing a turning towards it's not just about the results or about a technical tool it's about understanding the thinking behind that uh, and because you can't have your own amazing results consistently if you don't understand the thinking and then the thinking i think is you know is hard because it's not just an accretion of, of just how do we think in the West, but it's also about, um, you know, a focus in business that is always on on cost reduction and, um, you know, making things making things efficient, but not always making things efficient, you know, for the for the reasons that perhaps somebody in another culture might want to make things efficient. Yeah. So when you and I, when you and I were talking previously, you told me that sometimes in organizations you work with with people who you call lean refugees. So tell us who a lean refugee is. <laughs> yes. Um, well, we kind of coined the term the term lean refugee. Um, that, you know, I don't think they were using that term, but uh, I think what happens in business, you know perhaps too often is we we forget what the real focus is. Like we forget where we wanna really anchor to get those results that you're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm also a big fan of focusing on results, big fan of that. It's really important because, you know, that essentially sets the GPS for where you wanna go, right? Is to be uh -huh. clear about yeah. the results, but if we're if we're centering everything on efficiency and productivity, you know what we saw with kind of the lean refugees is they were very smart, bright people for sure, but they ended up, especially if they were in mid management, very sometimes very angry and kind of broken by this emphasis, this kind of um, sole emphasis on efficiency and productivity. Because human beings are not, you know, they're not machines, they're not cogs, and they, uh, folks would really get tired of, of feeling like they were being treated like a cog or, you know, a widget in a sense. 
uh, which I think that's very unfortunate and, and common in, in large enterprises at times um, that people have this sense. I think that's a big part of, you know, the great resignation, right? And people having time to reflect on this and, and, and thinking, yeah. God, there's got to be something better out there. Um, you can get even better results when your focus as a business is actually human-centered, right? Where the, the human being and the well-being of those individuals and their growth and learning how to unleash their potential in a sense, right? Which makes sense. Unleashing their potential would help the company, right? Um, you can even get better results, but it, it's, you know, you have to be very clear on where you're centering your efforts. Does that make, I don't know, did I answer your question? Well, it, makes a, it makes a lot of sense, Terry. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, that I see or I have seen when people start a, a what they call a lean deployment, which is in itself not necessarily a term that I favor, is they, is they teach lean through a game and the game, um, and apologies to the people who created this game is called move it and in the move it game people sit around the room they're assigned different roles and they're supposed to deliver um, packages um, to a customer and of course the process that they're given is a terrible process and there's lots of opportunities to make mistakes and over the course of the game they learn to improve the process so that instead of taking you know 10-15 minutes to deliver this package to the customer they can do it in a few seconds. The result of the game almost always is that everybody at the end of the game has a different role. So think about that in real life. What is it like if at the end of what you've done, everybody has a completely new job? That's not the way it works in real organizations, right? Um, no. If you if you if you think about if you think about the HR aspects of that, so even if people came up with the process themselves, they might not like the new job. They might feel that the change is happening too fast to them, um, and that's the kind of stuff I think that starts that feeling like. Like we're just a cog in a wheel. It's all about making this as fast as possible. It's not about, am I doing a job I enjoy? Am I getting to express myself? Um, does this job still make sense to me? And that's right. just the beginning of it. So I, there's a lot of things I think that we in the lean community need to look at and say, are we even teaching this in the right way? Are we, are we teaching the wrong thing? Uh, yes, that's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. I mean, I can see the value of that kind of exercise because there are a lot of inefficient processes out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, for sure. But um, I think the questions you're raising are, are, are at a higher level and more important, right? In terms of, you know, are you creating, are you creating structures where people's voices actually can be heard, right? Because that's how you begin to unleash their potential. You, you know, you wanna hear their voice. Um, especially frontline managers, right? Because they're dealing with, they're dealing with your business, right? They're, you know, they're, they're the ones that are, you know, really, you know, interacting with customers. And I mean, they really understand what's working and what's not working. Um, so, I, you know, do, do, the, do you have a voice as, a, as an employee? Do you, you know, does you, is, your, is your voice heard in a way that, it's actually not just uh, an exercise to be heard, but that 
you know, you actually have a role and a say in um, how goals get set um, and, and how goals get implemented because and it's, it's not just a nice HR thing. It's not. It's actually how to unleash the potential of the company because that's really where the knowledge lies in how to make it better. Um, of course, there's also a role, you know, for, for leadership in that, for sure. Uh, but it's often not what leadership thinks it is. <laughs> so what, what do you see when you go into an organization, and, and you said you like to work with purpose-driven organizations, but when you go into an organization, what do you see leaders typically thinking that their job is? To, you know, basically develop the plan and tell people, you know, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And discipline them if they don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I just, I mean, this isn't true of all companies, but, you know, executive teams and executive leadership can just be very siloed and kind of in their own world, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I feel that that's, honestly, probably more common than not. And, uh, you know, when that happens, then you have just, you have cut off the potential of the company. I mean, it, you know, a lot of companies keep operating like that, but um, that's, uh, those are not the companies that are, you know, leading edge, innovative, you know, technology. I mean, they're, those are not, you know, they're not the companies, you know, often those are the companies that buy the innovative companies and kind of destroy that spirit. <laughs> uh, so it just depends yeah. too on where you want to be. I think it's, it's more, the larger the company, the more challenging, but it, that's only because we've been focused in the wrong areas, you know, so bad habits have, you know, when they infiltrate very large companies, then it becomes harder to change them. Well, and even in a large company too, I'm, I'm sure you see this, you could have a very good positive culture in one area of the, of the company, in one division, in one, you know, one site, right. you know, one, one small group, right. um, but, um, and, you know, not everybody's like that, you know, so, so being able to get that to actually spread across the entire company, I mean, that is a C-level job, right? It to is a C-level job, yeah, and if it's not happening at the C-level, it's not going to happen. You know, um, I always say this shit rolls downhill. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. There goes my G rating on uh, on uh, on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. That, that's not, not a problem at all. All right. So you talk about collaborative leadership. So tell us what collaborative leadership is. You know, collaborative leadership is, I you know, it's really where... Um, Collaborative, collaborative leadership is really, I think, where um, senior leadership and the executive team, for, 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 for essentially the folks who are responsible for the bottom line results, that they recognize the interdependence of meeting their goals with all of their team members who report to them, essentially. Like when they really realize those interdependencies, and then develop organizational structures that truly um, acknowledge and respect those interdependencies, then you start to get 
collaborative leadership. You start to get leadership where people's voices really are heard and can have, you know, just can have incredible results can just have incredible impact. So when you go to an organization and, and, and talk to, uh, uh, as, you know, the people at the, the C-level people or a board about this, I can imagine people saying, yeah, I really want, I want that. I want those results. I can kind of see myself doing that, but I can imagine inside they might be a little scared. So, so what, what would be scary to them about that? Well, you know, what's, what's really scary is a sense of giving up some of the control, right? Uh -huh. um, you know, I think that's, that's absolutely the scariest thing. Um, you know, the sense of giving up control and authority because their roles become more collaborative, right? They actually, they, their frontline leaders actually start, you know, significantly contributing to the company. And so, and there's a, you know, there's an, a collaborative communication that goes on and there's a give and take. Who becomes the boss is the result, right? That you're going after. You know, part of it is really aligning everybody behind the result that you want to get in an honest, transparent way. And for, you know, so for many executives, that means, you know, I'm not the boss anymore. The result is the boss. And that, that feels, I mean, that sounds good in theory, but in doing it, it, it is scary because there's a feeling of, of giving up control and how much can I really trust these people? And, you know, they haven't always performed well at all before, you know? And so there's just, there's a lot of, um, yeah, it's not, it's actually, it's not for everybody. You know, the leaders need to be willing to trust and, and be willing to develop different kinds of relationships with, you know, their direct reports. Doesn't mean that so, the direct report is the boss, you know, the, again, the, the result is the boss. And it, it doesn't mean that you don't, you know, that there aren't results for people who are not performing. I'm also not saying that, but I, I think people are really tired of kind of the authoritarian top-down leadership. It, you know, it, it really, it worked well in our industrial age perhaps, but that age is long gone now. Yeah, in an age when more, when more and more people are doing knowledge work, yes. um, it's it's definitely um, you know it's, the person working for you may know things and know well. That's true. It's true in industry too. The person working for you may know things or know how to do things or have skills that you absolutely don't have. Right. So you have to be able to trust trust them to some extent. But then, but if. But as you were saying, if in the past you've seen people not perform well, that could be very worrying, you know. So, you know, how 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 far do you let it go? You know, when do you stop people? When do you check in? How, and how do you yeah. check in in a way that's that's not making people feel like you're looking over their shoulder? Yeah, absolutely. That that's a really good question, Bella. And I think, you know, part of what we do is. Um, we like to go in and do pilots, honestly, pilot projects with this. So, you know, it's nice to start with something like it's not swallowing the whole elephant, right, in one bite, because that usually just doesn't work. Um, but if we could go in and, and work with the senior leadership and the, the frontline managers to really, one is to do some planning together, 
to go through a collaborative planning process where, um, and this is great to do, you know, every quarter even, where you're really looking carefully at like, well, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what could be better, you know, there's, we have a little framework that allows teams to be able to go through this and everyone's voice is recorded. Everyone's voice is recorded. And then we have ways of, every, of, of everyone being able to look at that, be able to have some real discussions um, about where we're going and what went well, where, where the challenges were and, and then developing consensus around, so what are our strategic priorities now, you know, for this quarter or for this year? where everyone in a sense has a voice into that. And, and what we see in that process is that there's um, a really interesting alignment that actually happens, you know, because people are looking at the same things, like really the knowledge is in your company around how to make it better. Um, and so then what we'll do is, you know, we'll, we'll pull out the strategic priorities that clearly most people feel are a priority. Now, the senior management can, can tweak that and say, well, yes, but you know there may need to be some refinements, but <clears throat> it's often really very uh, right on spot, um, spot on. <clears throat> At that point, people are excited because they actually feel like they've had a say in setting the goals. And then what we'll do is encourage them to set up teams around those goals interdisciplinary teams are the best, right? To start to break down mm -hmm. some of the silos that are often in larger organizations. And they get to self-select the goal they wanna work on. So that's the other thing, right? They're not being told to work on a goal. They get to pick a goal that excites them. And then we help them <clears throat> to develop this, the meeting structures to facilitate getting to that goal within the time period that they're trying to get to. And we'll have a member of the executive team be on these te goal teams, but they are, they are not leading the team. So that's also a big shift for them is to really be able to delegate. Like I'm not leading this, but they're there as conveners. So they're making sure that the meetings happen and they bring the resources, you know? So the, as the team develops, like these are the resources we need to hit this goal, right? Then it'll go back to the executive team. The executive team member will take that back and advocate, right, for, for that goal team and what it needs. <clears throat> so there's discussion back and forth there. Um, we, we will work to um, help develop the, well, we'll ask the team to pick a leader and a, that, a leader and a facilitator and a note taker, essentially. Um, and the leader's job is not to make the decisions, it's, it's simply to set the agenda for the meetings and to make sure that the meetings continue to go. The facilitator is facilitating the discussion in the meeting and everyone in those team goal meetings has a voice as well. And they're deciding together on like, what are the changes we wanna make? What are the next steps to be able to really hit this goal? Um, and then there's regular, meetings and check-ins back with the executive team from um, the leadership of the goal teams to make sure that, that there's an interconnected communication going on. So these goal teams are not getting away from the executive team, but they're driving the goals now. They're driving the goals and man, you can get very quick results. You know, that's where then the game comes in in a sense, uh -huh. right? That you referenced at the beginning of our conversation Then people are all looking at the process and they're like, holy, 
you know, holy whatever, this could be yes. done much better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So how could we make it better? And then then you can bring in a tool, right? And and say, yes. all right, if you use this, here's, here's, a, here's a, a possibility for a tool that, that you could think of that, you know, you could try, see if yes. it works. But don't start with the tools. Don't start with the tool. Don't start with the tool. You know, nothing changes if you, you know, then you just have a tool in there and it just gets more confusing, right? Like you right. get into sort of a dysfunctional, you know, a dysfunctional kind of corporate structure. Um, so yeah, people first. You gotta you gotta get the people part first. So one of the things I'm curious about, um, in my life in the big company, I worked in a very, very big company. And so we we attempted to do something like this um, with with having um, objectives that were, you know, started, uh, you know, by leadership and, and feedback across the organization. But but the, the organization was so different, was so huge. It's you know, very difficult to get everybody's voices. So the, but by the time an objective ended up with an individual or with a team, it was not necessarily with their input. And I wonder if you have mm -hmm. some advice for people who is there is there a scale thing here yeah. that that um, yeah makes yeah. It, yeah, how do you scale? possible or difficult? Right, right. I think part of the part of the scaling may be in um, um, maybe in defining areas of of authority in a sense, or areas of you know areas of function, right? Like, for example, marketing um, is is clearly a function, right, within a right. company, uh, and so, and marketing in a sense, you know, you can't, these subgroups could be, can be delegated certain authority around particular objectives, right? Um, so, you know, we, you know, we want sales to be at a certain level, right? We want revenue to be at a certain level. Um, and how do we get there? And then, you know, when those, those bigger, you know, so you could say, well, you know, how, maybe people within that are not setting those bigger goals. And it can start out that way, I think, Bella, you know, where you've got a bigger goal that's being set at a different level, but there's a million ways to get there, right? Exactly, yeah. And so then you can delegate down to that team. Okay, we don't care how you get there. I mean, it needs to be legal, obviously, but, right. <laughs> you know, you can, then they can go through that process to really figure out how do they get to that objective. And when, when people start to really flex this muscle and get good at it, then, you know, marketing and sales will, can have a huge impact, obviously, on, in the end, on what revenue is and, and, and setting even those overall goals for a company, potentially, at least having a lot of conversation with, you know, the executive team around that um, when once, you know, this muscle is really built, you know, yeah, I mean, if they learned to, if they really learned that collaborative leadership, then they can go. If you know, if we can't hit this number, if we don't have a new product, you know, then they can go to, um, you know, to product development and say, "Hey, you need a, a goal that's aligned with our goal, right?" That's a yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's also part of the role of executive leadership is to see where the interdependencies are across the right. company, right? So that, you know, as, as those individual um, 
reporting lines are coming up in, and you know, then it's it's a that's part of executive leadership's role is really seeing. Well, you need to talk to product development. You know, we don't. You know, product development is off on what they're doing. It's not going to generate us this kind of revenue. And so, you know, then there's real there's honest discussions about like what could happen then, um, right? Um, you know, what, where, but it, you know, that kind of collaborative, those kind of conversations can unleash people's creativity, right? To think differently. Like if we're trying to hit this goal, then okay, well, what do we need to be doing in product development? And how long is it gonna take to get there? So things start to get more real, you know, versus um, just kind of barking orders from, from on high. Well, you know, that, that you're not happy with this or you're not happy with that. You've got to get people talking and working together. Uh, you know, otherwise it just, it doesn't work very well. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I've talked about with, uh, with other recent guests is about our educational system and the mm -hmm. people coming out of um, uh, universities, mm -hmm. uh, coming out of business schools have had limited uh, experience in collaboration. And, um, you know, so we're always, you know, urging the academics out there to see what you can do to change that. Yeah, you know, I think I think academia has this this uh, competitive um, approach to it, you know, as we we all each get our own individual grade. And we know once you get out and you're working in a for-profit or a not-for-profit organization, it's not really about your individual grade. But I was wondering, uh, do you have thoughts about what you would like to see in terms of education, um, uh, preparing yeah, people for I, the the future? I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, I think our our educational system is really lacking in this way. Um, with you know, it, it does feel, I think, especially in business schools, I mean, it's so hyper-focused on, you know, the individual and the, you know, the job that you're going to land and how much money you're going to make. And <clears throat> not to say that that's not important. I mean, individuals are really important because they make up the whole, right? But if we're not, if we're not teaching our young adults, you know, truly how to work together collaboratively, um, I, you know, it's not, it's not portending well for our future, right? I mean, we can see that with just the, I mean, you know, all of our recent crises are, I think, a result yeah. of that, right? Really. And those have, those kinds of crises, like the pandemic, like global warming, all of those things ultimately have real bottom line effects on companies, right? Well, COVID certainly has. Um, and yeah. You know, that's a, the things that we're talking about going on in individual companies are, are reflected in our larger society, which doesn't, you know, make sense, right? That they would be, like they, the two reflect each other. And a lot of that does start in the universities, for sure. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of emphasis on how to actually work collaboratively, like how to really figure that out. What are structures for doing that? You know, how do you really improve communication? You know, those things actually can be learned. Um, mm -hmm. and I, yeah. yeah, it would be wonderful if there were researchers actually interested, you know, in, in how you do that in business. I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen that though, really. 
I think I think it's I think it is happening, but it's a it's it, the the bulk of what's happening is still what you described. It's about if you go to business school, especially, it is about your individual achievement. Um, you know where are you go to work afterwards, and um, you know there may be there may be some collaborative projects, but it it's not. I don't know that that uh, it's necessarily you know taught or research, but I, I know there is research happening on that. So oh, good. I'm yeah. glad to. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Yeah, you know, when I have had friends who've gone through the MBA programs and, and doing projects, you know, what it what it ends up being is there's like two or three stars who carry the whole project and they complain endlessly about the freeloaders in the group. <laughs> that seems to and be then, the pattern that repeats over and over again. And then those people get hired into a company and they repeat that pattern, right? Like I'm yeah. the I'm the only one who knows, I'm the one who's really working and everybody else is is not part of my team. So right. yeah, yeah, it's it's it would be great to 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 get some better behavior, you know, even even studying out. Yeah, and I, those students need to be taught how to collaborate together. Like I don't think like there needs to be actually a discussion about that and not just an assumption that they're going to figure it out. Right. Not figuring it out. No, no. So, Terry, you um, you spend a lot of time in a not-for-profit organization um, as an executive director. A lot of the things that we've been talking about are, in fact, everything we've been talking about are, of course, applicable to nonprofits as well. Oh, but sure. in nonprofits, you have the additional um, challenge of and joy of working with volunteers. What of what you're talking about with collaborative leadership, how do you engage volunteers in that? Well, it's the same thing. You know, volunteers are human beings as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's exactly the same. So you know, it depends on, I, I, I really encourage organizations to think about their volunteers intentionally, right? Like very intentionally you know, what is, what is their role in the organization and almost, you know, treating them, you know, I, I want to say with the same respect and value as an employee, right? Unfortunately, we don't necessarily respect and value our employees either, but, you know, that, that's ideal because when you're, you know, when, when you, when you give them that kind of respect, they, they respect you back, Right, like you're, you know, you're setting up the the expectation for what this relationship is going to look like, and it is a relationship. And because you're not paying for it, it's particularly a valuable relationship. And so, you know, depending on the volunteers' ability abilities and time, right, with the, the time that they're willing to commit to you, um, you want to integrate them into the organization as much as possible. Be sure that they understand your vision and mission and your bigger goals, right? Where you're really headed towards so that they can see what, how their role is going to contribute to that, you know, significantly. You, you know, there's many organizations that treat their volunteers like cops um, and, you know, then you're going to lose them. You know, that's not a retention strategy. Um, and, and they can be part of the collaborative leadership structure as well. You know, again, it depends on the circumstance and how much time again that they are able to donate to the organization but um i've seen you know i've seen board men board members who are our volunteers in nonprofit organizations you know certainly be just as engaged as you know the paid team members and contribute just as much so and, and that's a real bonus for the organization when you can get that kind of engagement 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that is, you know, there's more work to do out there than there ever seems like there's people and money to do it. So, so it, what you're talking about with engaging volunteers and, and like really engaging volunteers and not just, you know, thanking them at the end of the year. Right. Um, sounds like it's really, really needed. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a really big difference. It makes a really big difference. You know, many, many nonprofit CEOs and executive directors, I mean, the board is just a great example because they're, they have a very important governance role, but they're unpaid. You know, they are right. volunteers and, you know, many um, executive directors, like the board is kind of the bane of their existence. They complain a lot about it. Um, they wish they didn't have to deal with it, you know, but it's actually the biggest, most underutilized asset of a nonprofit organization, um, it, you know, and learning how to really work effectively with those volunteers will have huge financial benefits for, for the organization. I mean, it absolutely affects the bottom line, but, you know, you've got to, again, prioritize them. Like it's the, it's prioritizing the human beings and the relationships that you're developing with those folks and seeing where are their interests and how do their interests and vision overlap with the organization's, you know, vision and interests and, and then really creating opportunities for them in those places. So, um, yeah, that's a, there's a lot there that can be developed for sure. But yeah, but the same thing that you were saying, you know, for an exec, a, a director, an executive director, it's about kind of flipping that relationship around then, right? It's about, yeah. it's about perhaps letting go some things or, or, um, you yes. working in a different way with the and, board or with other volunteers. Yes, Bella. Yes. It's like, you know, a lot of times it's funny because executive directors will feel like, in, you know, they'll have board meetings quarterly or bi-monthly. Some of them will meet even every month. Um, and they'll feel like their job is to stand up and read a report to show that they're doing their job, right? Because the board hires the executive directors. So I got to show them that I'm doing my job and I'm going to read this report that I already sent them. Like these people don't know how to read, right? And of course you're training them not to read. Like, why should I read this package if they're going to read it to me when I get to the meeting? And it's so boring. Oh my God, it's so boring. And so the relationship shift, like you're saying, is being willing to be vulnerable with the board and to actually have some real white space in your agenda to allow the board to think strategically and have conversations where you don't know where the end of the conversation is going to go. Those, and that unleashes the potential of the board, right? Because you're, you know, if you're asking them to really advise you on strategic, you know, roadblocks or goals that you're trying to achieve, you don't know what the answer is going to be, right? So that, you know, that requires being vulnerable with them and maybe you not having all of the answers and, you know, developing a true partnership, you know, very similar to the question around what's the executive team lose when they move in this direction. You know, I think for yeah. all of us, it's, yeah, it's like getting the ego out of the way so that you can really, you can deeply partner with people around important objectives. I love that. I love that. Getting the ego out of the way. It's easy to say it's hard to do. Yeah. Because we live with us. We live with ourselves. We are the, you know, we're the only we reality do. we know. 
That's right. Yeah. And, you know, we want to have an awareness of that. And it's not like we're trying to throw our analytical abilities out the window. For sure not. They're very valuable to us. But we have to also realize maybe we don't know everything. And maybe that's really, really okay. Maybe that's really, you know, being able, a lot of times I'll say, being able to say, I don't know, is the beginning of really getting someplace, you know, because life, life is like that, you know, they think that are constantly changing. How could we know all the answers? It's impossible. And that is a very lean perspective, actually. <laughs> oh, great. It, it really is, you know, knowing that we don't know and we have to do something to find out, you know, that's, that is, that is uh, the beginning of learning. Yeah. You can't learn something if you didn't, if you don't know that you don't know it. Exactly. Right. right. Terry, thinking about, we talked a little bit about education, but thinking about young people starting out in their career, what would be your piece of advice to somebody? If you could just give them one piece of advice. Trust yourself, I would say. Um, you know, take the time, take the time to get to know yourself on a deeper level. And, and that means maybe some time off of the computer, off of your devices, so that you know you can know yourself on a deeper level and begin to, to trust yourself. Uh, you have everything you need to have success in life, to have joy, to have happiness. You really do. But it's not like finding that path is, you know, it, it's not in all the, the messaging that there's something wrong with us that we have to fix, that we have to make a certain amount of money by a certain point, that we have to get married by a certain time. Like those are all artificial constructs. And I, I just believe in the, the resiliency and the beauty that each human being has to bring to the earth and, and that you really have something special to give. And it may take a little time to find that, but it, you know, it begins with going in and not being afraid to see what's inside and really you know, value your worth by virtue of being a human being. You, know, you, you are valuable. You are so valuable. Wow. That is amazing, beautiful advice. And I think everybody should take that to heart. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry Beckman, for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. Uh, thank you, Bella. Such a pleasure. Really such a pleasure. Thank you for all of your work. Thanks. You too. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Terry Beckman for being my guest on the edges of Lean. How are you building collaborative leadership in the places you work? We love to hear from you. Find Terry at LinkedIn or at Heigall.co. That's H-I-G-O-L dot C-O. And start a conversation. Find me at LeanForHumans.com or on LinkedIn or wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about the edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. 
You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.